Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. And I'm Robert Bocciolato. In our next two episodes, we're going to talk about Henry Flagler, maybe the most famous person in the history of Florida, Robert. Yeah, I, I think you'd be probably hard-pressed to find anybody that wasn't in elected office that it had as much of a influence on the Florida of the early 1900s as Flagler. And uh, I, I think he uh, his, uh, his touch can still be felt in places like St. Augustine and Miami. Yeah, so let's talk about St. Augustine. I think most people listening probably are familiar with the story. Uh, Henry Flagler's wife was ill and was advised to move to, to warmer climates. Flagler was one of uh, John D. Rockefeller's right-hand men in, in Standard Oil. He was one of the richest men in the country. Moved, took an interest in Florida at a time when no one had took an interest in Florida. It was a hot, muggy, mosquito-infested, alligator-crawling backwater. Flagler came to Florida in the 1880s. Ham Hamilton Distance Everglades scheme that we'll talk about in a future episode had just fallen by the wayside. And the first thing he finds is the St. John's River. You know, the, the railhead ends in Jacksonville, uh, north of the St. John's River. The St. John's River, as William Bartram, the famous naturalist, had found in that era, well, it still is today, alligator-infested, was just indicative of Florida, a kind of wilderness, a river that, yeah, yeah, obviously at the mouth of the river, it, it, it looks like a classic river in another part of the country, or flows, flows north to south, sorry. And is um, it was just kind of untamed wilderness at the point in time. So the first first thing he did, obviously, was to get into the hotel building. Something that people felt like, why would this guy go from being a billionaire maybe to a millionaire, <laughs> or in, in, in those terms? Uh, because the hotel business was a tough business at that time, building a resort, and he needed to connect his resort, which became the Ponce de Leon Hotel, it's now Flagler College, to a railroad so that people from north, up north could come. And that meant crossing the St. John's River, which was engineering, which was very difficult at the time, but he was able to do that, and he brought the railroad to St. Augustine. Crossing the St. John's River in, in, in engineering terms would be the least of the, the feats of Flagler as we get further down the road. But when he started, that was a pretty... Uh, Pretty impressive feat. Well, you know, I think I think people would be shocked to find that this was a man. Um, you know, you had you had mentioned the fact that he was with Standard Oil. He was one of the richest men in America, and he had so much personal power with Standard Oil that I mean, he probably, if he wanted to, could have been a you know a U.S. senator, uh, definitely a congressman. You know, with without even really you know, exerting himself. And what he decided to do, he really wanted to go into partnership with uh, this one gentleman who um, already had a hotel in St. Augustine. And he even told the guy, he said, look, I will, I will put up $100,000 if you can get $20,000 and we will open up this beautiful hotel together. And, it, and he just became obsessed with this idea of transforming St. Augustine, which, you know, we've talked about this before, even then was such a beautiful and historic part of the nation, let alone, yeah. the, you know, our, our state, but the nation, it was just a, a huge, important area. 
and he he loved it. And the guy thought he was crazy. The guy thought he could never ever spend a hundred thousand dollars on a piece of property. Keep in mind, this was the 1880s, 1890s, and uh, you know the guy was probably pretty smart because Flagler built his hotel and he ended up spending. I think three or four times that, which is, you know, an extraordinary amount of money by today's standards. And he actually resigned day-to-day interest from Standard Oil to focus his entire efforts, his entire energies on this obscure state. And everybody thought he was crazy. So there were two primary cities in Florida at the time. Uh, Robert, or maybe three if you include yeah. Pensacola, uh, but two certainly uh, in Peninsular and, and uh, kind of uh, uh, ex- uh, that, w- that were kind of isolated from the rest of uh, the world, if you will, because Pensacola was very close to Mobile and very close to New Orleans, uh, which were St. Augustine and Key West. What Flagler did is he revived St. Augustine, which, yes, was the oldest city in, the, in America, and we're going to talk about this extensively in, uh, in future shows on this podcast, in the 1600s, was arguably the most vibrant city in North America. Um, uh-huh. But uh, by 1880, was just you know, a outpost in a very rural, um, hot state, underpopulated state. And Key West, which we talked about in the previous podcast, was uh, the other primary city in Florida, which was geographically isolated from the rest of the country, right? No railroad, no, 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 uh, no. connection. Uh, you came by boat, which is why Key West was actually easier to get to from New Orleans um, and Pensacola than it was from Peninsular Florida. And part of Key West's prominence had to do with the fact that any ship that was sailing toward New Orleans um, would, would inevitably pass by Key West. Uh, but it wasn't really connected to the rest of the state. So Flagler made both of these places in a modern sense. Um, St. Augustine was... <clears throat> A place, uh, Robert, that I think there there are three very distinct phases of St. Augustine's history uh, prior to 1900, which was the Spanish phase prior to um, the the English invasion of uh, of uh, Florida or the Carolinian invasion, you know, James Moore and, and the governor of the Carolinas uh, in 1702. Uh, the the English period from 1763 to 1783, when um, obviously lots of Tories from the southern uh, colonies or states as they became, fled to Florida, and St. Augustine ended up being a very vibrant place uh, until the British left. And then the Flagler period. Um, it's in, the St. Augustine of today, though, um, even though it is the oldest city in America, and we have all those British and, and Spanish relics, including uh, the Castillo de San Marcos, it is very much Henry Flagler's city. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's the thing. Um, I recommend anybody who is, uh, you know, a fan of this program or, you know, is a fan of history in general, if you are in St. Augustine, I, I really encourage you to do a day tour of the area and then do a nighttime tour of the area. And the reason why is because there is so much, I, I think more than any other state, any other city in the state, there is so much uh, history uh, about the settling and uh, the, you know, the, the different races that came in here. But there's also a lot of haunted history and a lot of, a lot of drama as well. And a lot of it, strangely enough, has to do with Flagler and members of his family and things of that nature. 
shirt, <laughs> but it's um, it, which you know, <laughs> uh, you know, like a, a mistress killing herself, and you can still see her ghost in uh, in uh, Flagler College. But you're absolutely right. You go to one of these tours, and you will see the Spanish area. You'll see the first um, the first homes. You'll see the first uh, bits of stucco design that they were trying out. And then right next door, you'll see uh, the the wonderful sort of street uh, pavilions. And, uh, you know, it's almost kind of like Savannah, yeah. where they have the, you know, where they have the sort of layout that um, is right by uh, every every little block is surrounded by its own little vegetation, its own little trees. And, and you know, there's these nice little, you know, uh, just breaks between the streets. And, uh, you know, so it's totally removed from the Spanish influence. And then you go a few streets down and you see all of these giant, monstrous colonial structures that were not really colonial. They're what Flagler thought colonial structures should look like. Yes. And they're they're ginormous. They're like something out of a Terry Gilliam film. They're, they're actually uh, uh, probably the most European-looking structures in the southern U.S., quite honestly. Oh, without it, question. They, they kind of actually, um, a little bit of Flagler College today reminds me the Indian pavilions that King George IV made. In England, like that, that be you know yeah. something sort of exotic, or or like a um, like a Caucasian's idea of what exotic is supposed to look like. Somebody with with too much money, yeah. <laughs> and, and and you know you can it's almost it's almost like uh, in Citizen Kane with Xanadu, this guy yeah. with too much too much money is building these systems for himself. But you that that is a really strange thing is that there is. There's a lot, there's a history about the nightlife and a history about the culture. And there's also a history um, that you can do during the day. And it's, uh, it's just a lot of history and it's broken up in those different sections. And you can see the timeline just in the, in the layout of, of the actual city. And I don't know any other place where you, you have that sort of unbroken chain of development and where people just left the impressions of the other other settlers alone. They didn't build over it. Well, that's a very European thing. You can see kind of the, the progression in some European cities of when things were built, but in American cities, you don't. And that makes St. Yeah. Augustine very unique. I mean, I've told, maybe I'm partial because I'm a Floridian, but I've told people throughout the country, St. Augustine is very underrated when people talk about Williamsburg and Charleston and Savannah. Savannah, I happen to like a great deal because of the squares. and yeah. uh, there's. I mean, I like all those places. But St. Augustine and Key West, which we've discussed in a previous show, have a different kind uh, of charm. Key West is a very... Uh, American city, but it's a very kind of like 1800s American city. It hasn't been built on top of with a modern city. And then St. Augustine, you see these progressions of the of the early Spanish colonial period, the most vibrant period uh, in Florida's history prior to statehood, uh, or actually prior to the 1920s, arguably, or prior to Flagler. And then uh, the English period, which was very short uh, in terms of t uh, uh, span of time, but saw a swelling of uh, a population and uh, things happening in East Florida, not really so much in West Florida, but uh, certainly in the St. Augustine area, and then the Flagler period. So Flagler, after St. Augustine, becomes into this this great uh, 
uh, attraction. Tourists start coming to St. Augustine, staying in the Alcazar Hotel, staying in the Ponce de Leon Hotel. Uh, they start going to Gatorland Zoo, which is still, is that what it's called, I think? Or the Alligator Farm, excuse me. Gatorland. Alligator Park, yeah. Yeah, the Alligator Farm is um, is still around in St. Augustine. That opened in the 1880s or 1890s. Uh, it's over 100 years old now. Uh, then he wanted to extend his railroad further south into the more tropical areas. He gets to Palm Beach. They build the Breakers Hotel, the famous Breakers Hotel, uh, Flagler's Hotel, West Palm Beach springs up. This is all, all always very interesting yeah. to me, Robert, because there yeah. needed to be a place for all the workers Flagler was employing between the railroad and the hotels and the tourist attractions. Yeah, you can, as, as he goes down the, the spine of the state, you can really see the, the second, because there, there's not one Flagler era in Florida. There's really two. There's what he did in St. Augustine, and then there's what he did with the railroad all the way down to South Florida, because he had, you know, he had a, ma a mansion in South Florida as well. And you know, one of the things that that he noticed as he was settling in St. Augustine was, at first, this is a beautiful site, but it needs, you know, my kind of hotel. So right. he built his kind of hotel, and then he said, okay. Now I gotta find logistic logistical ways for people to get to the city in this hotel, and so he started building these railroads, and then he just kept going. And it was um, it was almost again it was almost as as though there was a hunger in him to develop this place. And um, I you know you could say that in in a lot of ways he was like Florida's you know. I financial daddy warbucks in a way. Um, but at the same time, I think he noticed that the legislature and the governors were malleable yeah. to his influence. Yes. And um, so he just, it was one of those things where he just kept going because it was a place that was his type of place. And they kept giving and, him, uh, they kept, they kept giving him a blank check. Basically, the governor yeah, and legislature yeah. to do what he wanted. And, you know, and I, I'm sure we're going to talk about this in the next Flagler episode, but um, it, I mean, it got to a point where I, I, I think it was Miami, they wanted it to name it Flagler. <laughs> yeah, right. Again, Miami is doesn't become the city it does without Henry Flagler. Before we uh, depart this episode, we'll leave you for a week and we'll come back with that episode that you've already teased. Whitehall was his residence in, in, in Palm Beach. Uh, now the Flagler Museum, which I recommend for, for anyone and everyone uh, who's interested in Florida history in general. It, it, be, beside the Florida History Museum itself in Tallahassee, it might end up being the best museum of Florida history simply because Flagler had so much to do with it, even though it's a museum that comes yeah. in 30 years or so. Uh, but that, um, that house, Whitehall, uh, Flagler putting down roots in Palm Beach really is what began to stimulate the growth of, uh, of southeastern Florida. Oh, yeah. there's. I mean, there's, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but, you know, next week, but there's really no telling how long it would have taken for South Florida to develop without Flagler. Yeah. And in fact, South Florida developed so quickly because of Flagler, Miami in 1894, and this is where we'll leave you, when Julia Tuttle uh, sent her famous uh, citrus crop 
to Flagler and said, look, we didn't have a freeze here when that 1894-1895 uh, freeze in Florida, the worst freeze in the citrus uh, industry's history other than maybe the 1989 freeze, uh, but one of the two worst in, in the, the history of the state uh, after citrus became a primary crop here in the, in the state of Florida. Uh, Miami did not get hit by the freeze the way the rest of the state did. So Julia Tuttle famously sent these oranges to Henry Flagler. There were two families living in Miami. The uh, Julia Tuttle's family and Mary Brickle's family, right? It was a nothing <laughs> place. By the 1920s, 30 years later, it was the boom town that everybody in the country had heard of and uh, was one of the... <laughs> quickly emerging major cities, major metropolises in the United States in just 30 years. And that's because of Henry Flagler. And that's, uh, Robert, where we're going to leave this particular mm -hmm. show. We're going to pick up next week talking about Flagler extending his railroad from West Palm down through Fort Lauderdale to Miami and then the daunting crossing of the ocean, which uh, I think everybody knows was the Overseas Railroad. So you can subscribe to the Florida History Podcast wherever you find podcasts. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, Overcast, and uh, many other sites, including our hosts, Anchor. Uh, so please check us out uh, either on Anchor or any of those other sites where we do podcasts. And check us uh, out our work at thefloridasqueeze.com. We will catch you next week.